Welcome to this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast. I am Meg Rivers, Editor-in-Chief of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. The Farm Exec Magazine, for those who don't know, is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights to master the signs of success. On this week's episode, I speak with Piper Trellstad. She is the head of CMC at the Bill and Melinda Gates Medical Research Institute. And today we're going to be speaking a bit about being a woman working in the pharma space, which is predominantly a male-dominated field, particularly at the C-suite level. We're going to talk about her predictions for more women working in the C-suite level, changes that she's seen you know, across her various experiences. She worked with Takeda and Merck, and she talked about working with tons of different vaccines also going to talk about her work specifically at the Bill and Melinda Gates Medical Research Institute, her personal journey. One of the things that she had mentioned that I found fascinating was that the company is working on a nutritional supplement. So not just the pharmaceuticals, but the for this probiotic, I guess they're taking a pharma approach with the clinical trials and all that for this nutritional supplement. So anyways, great stuff ahead. Definitely stay tuned. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back to the interview. Hey there, Andy Studna, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Okay, we are back. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Piper. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to be here. Let's jump into the first question I have for you. I always like to start off with you. I would love to hear more about your journey. So could you tell me about yourself? What has your journey into the world of pharma been like? And did you see yourself working in this industry? So I kind of meandered around a little bit before ending up in the pharmaceutical industry. I actually started out as a chemical engineer. Um, Now I'm the head of of chemistry manufacturing and controls at the Gates Medical Research Institute. But I meandered around a little bit um, early in my career. So I was an English major and then actually went back, studied chemical engineering with an idea of going into the environmental um, field. But as I was finishing up my doctorate, was looking around at at opportunities that wouldn't require a lot of travel because I just had my first child. And so I was trying to find something that wouldn't require travel, but also would kind of meet my goals of having some societal impact. So that environmental had met that. And and then I got an opportunity to go work in vaccines at at Merck. And so I, I took that opportunity and never really looked back. So I worked at Merck in vaccine manufacturing, working on sort of in technical roles and life cycle management, um, and then uh, moved from there to to CADA, where I worked in developing um, uh, vaccines, in particular the vaccine for for dengue. I was part of that and excited to see a positive opinion on that very recently. So um, really exciting news on that front. And then, um, and then early this year, got the opportunity to join the Gates Medical Research Institute, which has been uh, really excited about it. So, so meandered a little bit, um, started with vaccines at the Gates Medical Research Institutes. We have some vaccines that we're working on um, against tuberculosis and shigella, but we have a lot of other kinds of products too. So we have some uh, monoclonal antibodies for malaria. 
as well as small molecule regimen of, of drugs for tuberculosis. So for me, that's been an opportunity to branch out not only into a new role, but also um, new modalities, new kinds of, of, of therapeutics and, and um, to work on. So very exciting place for me to be right now. It sounds like you've had a lot of work in vaccines and parenterals. What do you see as of all the vaccines and the like therapeutic areas you've worked in, what do you see as like the most growth that you've witnessed or maybe most potential in the coming years? In the coming years. So I think, you know, looking at the ones that we're working on right now, I'm, I'm really excited about our tuberculosis vaccine. We licensed this vaccine from GSK a number of years ago. It's a vaccine that prevents latent tuberculosis, which impacts about a quarter of the world's population actually has latent tuberculosis. Only a very small fraction of those individuals will actually end up with active tuberculosis. But because of the, the number that are impacted, it ends up being about 10 and a half million cases of tuberculosis each year with one and a half million deaths. And so um, we have a vaccine that looks really promising. We're looking to bring it into phase three. So I'm super excited about that product. That is awesome. Last question I have, I guess, re regarding the vaccines before we kind of shift into another topic I want to pick your brain on. For the, you, you'd mentioned it's phase three, you're nearing commercialization. Do you foresee any challenges with regards to commercialization? Yeah, so this trial will take quite a long time because the rate at which the number of people who actually convert from latent tuberculosis into active is, is pretty low. It's, it's going to take us a number of years in order to complete this trial. So it won't be till really late in this decade that we'll be thinking about commercialization. So we do have some, some time for that. We'll have some time to, to figure out, you know, how to, how to manage those, those challenges. It'll be a vaccine that's geared towards adolescents and adults. So a little bit more challenging than a pediatric one where the vaccination regimen is a little bit more established. Got it. I think how quickly the COVID vaccines were developed has kind of shifted how we view how quickly vaccines will come out, at least for me personally. So I appreciate your clarifying. Yeah, exactly. All right. So my next question for you is, you know, you're a woman working in the pharmaceutical manufacturing space, which is predominantly a male dominated field, especially at the C-suite level. What has your experience been like as a woman in this space? What challenges have you faced? And if you're comfortable sharing, how have you overcome those? Yeah, so I think um, that's very true that there, it is a male-dominated space, but a lot of progress has been made. And so I think, you know, even now, if you look at the pharmaceutical industry and look at that executive level, you see we're getting kind of close to 30% of positions are held by women. In biotech, it's even higher. And here at the Gates Medical Research Institute, five of the individuals on our, our leadership team are women. And so we're including our chief operating officer, head of regulatory strategy and, and our HR, and then of course myself. You know, when we're I feel like right now it's in a really good place where we have that sort of equity for me personally, but it hasn't always been that way. It's certainly been times in my career when, you know, when I looked up and and there weren't a whole lot of women there. But I have to say that I've, you know, over my career have had men who've been very, very supportive, who've given me opportunities for growth. And that's something that I, you know, I think is so incredibly important. And, and I, you know, I look to, to try to, to give that back. How can you look out there at, you know, either young women or other diverse candidates or, you know, individuals and then look at how can you give them those opportunities to really show how they can shine. 
What have you witnessed has been a really good way to get more diversity in the leadership positions, I suppose, whether or not it's gender related or something else? Exactly. Well, I think it has to be a really conscious effort. And I think that we've seen that, you know, more recently. Don't think it just happens. I think that you have to, you know, put some effort into it. And really it starts with, starts with hiring. Um, but doesn't in there at, at all. So I think you want, you know, how do you hire people? How do you onboard them? And then of course, how do you support them over their, their careers? I think mentoring and sponsorship is, is incredibly important. That's been important to me. I think that when I look at my career and sort of places where I've had a, a little bit of a step change in terms of um, levels of responsibility, it's always happened with that kind of support. So I do think that it has to be a concerted effort. I think a lot of the, the DEI efforts and, and, you know, here at the Medical Research Institute, that's, you know, an important priority for us is, is thinking about that, um, again, you know, with hiring, but also with how do we support the growth of all of our individuals ac- across the board. Awesome. According to an October 2022 Bloomberg article, this is an exact quote, the number of U.S. women working in manufacturing is rising again after a drop off during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic and more will likely join the male-dominated field thanks to a shift toward automation. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what led to this shift? So I think careers in manufacturing are are really great ones. They're they're jobs that are interesting and challenging. They pay well. I think, you know, if you look at the the kind of pay for women, the women get in the manufacturing area, it is, you know, I think I read somewhere like 16% higher than the kind of the general um, job. So this, so there was really, I think, a real incentive um, to do that. I would imagine that with automation, that maybe some of the physical um, elements of those jobs are, are lessened, um, which also kind of encourages women as well. I think, you know, in the pharmaceutical industry, there's also kind of a recognition that having that diversity is really helpful for business, right? So I think women are, in terms of kind of healthcare you know, the folks who are really sort of driving healthcare decisions in, in families are often women. And, and so having that perspective kind of at all levels of, of the business is, is incredibly important. And I think that sort of reaches back into, into manufacturing as well. You had mentioned like having diversity is helpful for business. And I feel like, you know, obviously, of course, but could you articulate a little bit more as to specific examples, how it's really helpful in the business? I think that there may be decisions around what is the product that you're going to develop? How is it going to be used? Maybe how is a, you know, kind of a packaging decision, something that might influence how something is, you know, really thinking about that, that end user and that, that utilization. So I I think there are probably a lot of examples. I can't think of, you know, a particular one that I've experienced. Often my work is, is pretty far upstream, but I do think that that mindset, so I, you know, in terms of understanding who your customer is, that there's going to be a connection there. I think that there's another type of um, value that you bring when you just have that diversity. And so that you're not kind of coming in with sort of a group mindset, that you actually have um, folks ask questions that may kind of broaden the perspective around a particular um, decision. And so that's, um, that's something that I think you see sort of day in and day out as you're driving decisions um, within a, an organization to make that sure that you're not kind of getting that, that group think and only thinking about it from one perspective. It may influence how you're thinking about the risks that you take, you know, exactly. Got it. Thank you very much. So how do you foresee more women working in the pharma manufacturing space impacting the industry in the coming years? And do you, can you think of any specific impacts on the C-suite? 
So again, I, th- I think it's a lot of what we've you know already talked about in terms of um, having that that diversity of thought. And also, I think in terms of just having the you know the candidates um, available for to fill positions and roles, you really sort of double your you know what's available out there if you're looking at at women as well as men. So I think the the, the combination of the the two, right? So bringing ensuring that we can kind of increase the the number of candidates that we are evaluating, and then looking at um, having that diversity of thought as you're um, you know at, within decision making at all levels of the of the organization. From where you are in your current company and in previous companies, have you seen specific efforts to say have women in leadership positions? I don't know, like, are they saying, okay, we're, you know, we'll evaluate X amount of candidates and we want X amount of those candidates to be women? So I think, you know, often what I've seen happen um, and what we do too is we're really very conscious about even trying to have a diverse slate of candidates, but also a diverse panel of interviewers as well. And so really being cautious, I'm not, not kind of setting firm numbers of it, but really looking at, are we, are we looking broadly? Um, in some organizations, the candidates are even sort of blinded and so that the name isn't there. So you, you know, really can't, when you're doing that initial screening, you can't make that decision based on kind of a knowledge of whether you're talking about a, a man or a woman or, or some other category. But for sure, you know, we are very conscious of trying to make sure that we do have those, you know, a diverse slate of, of candidates as well as the as the interviewers. Um, and then also being conscious of, you know, how are you thinking about the interview process um, so that you're not really biasing the interviewers in one way or another from the beginning. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I would love to hear about, you know, in your 20 years of experience, what changes and innovations have you seen in the pharma industry specifically as it relates to the C-suite? So I, you know, one of the things that I think has been in, in the pharma industry that's been kind of pretty pronounced is this focus on patient centricity. And so really, and you're thinking about that patient's perspective versus thinking about, you know, maybe the physician's perspective. And I, that I think has is, is really shown a light on the importance of diversity, right? Because now we're thinking about, you know, who are those patients? Who are the caregivers who might be making decisions for those, those patients? And there you start to see, wow, there's, the, you know, there's a whole diverse world out there who's, who are really going to be the ones who are using um, the products that we're, we're producing. And I think that's driven a realization of the importance of having everyone on the, at the table as you're as you're producing and developing these these products. I think that's a a, a really big one. I think you know more recently and, and amplified by the the pandemic is kind of this realization of the value of flexibility and the fact that we can we can work much more flexibly than we um, perhaps did in the past. I think that's great for, for people with different backgrounds and needs and sort of personal demands as, as well. So I think that's going to be really valuable as we move forward. So for me, those couple of things, those patient centricity, that sort of that acknowledgement of flexibility in terms of both time of work, when do we work, um, where do we work, all of those are, are going to... Think really kind of shift the approach and also shift what we see happening in the in the C suite and how decisions are being made. Yeah, when I've spoken with experts recently, there has been discussions about how remote work specifically has really helped to allow more diversity in the workplace and diverse hires. 
like maybe, for example, um, certain like communities, people of color who really can't physically get to, I don't know, the manufacturing facility or the pharma company. So I don't know if that's been your experience too, but it sounds like remote work has been a very positive thing for the industry. You know, I think it's 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 opened up some opportunities. Um, I, you know, I think we're still struggling with what is the the end game look like. Is it because all remote isn't it also isn't you know maybe the the best place because there is so much value in having those interpersonal interactions. I think that have a hybrid where you you come in you know some of the time and you work from home some of the time is probably the the best of all worlds. But I do think you know when we offer flexibility and and, and people are demanding it now, right? I think employees really expect that and they need it and it works for them. You know, they found that, wow, they've got a lot more time in their days if they, or if they're not having to commute an hour each way. And, you know, here in Boston, the traffic can be quite a bear. And so taking that um, constraint off of, of people really, I think, opens up the, the opportunities of what they can do, where they can work. But we also have to balance that with the, you know, the value of, of having that, that in-person um, interaction as well. I'd like to chat here a little bit about your work at the Gates Foundation. Could you tell me about what led you to join this organization and what are some of your long-term goals of working there? So just to clarify, we are the Gates Medical Research Institutes. We are an affiliate of the Gates um, Foundation. We were established in, in 2018 really as the product development arm of the Gates Foundation. So we focus on developing products really in line with the priorities of the global health arm of the foundation. And those are disease areas for which the incentives are pretty limited. So those are things like tuberculosis that we just talked about, malaria, diarrheal and enteric diseases, and maternal and childhood diseases. So those are the areas that we focus on in alignment with, with the foundation. We develop products from kind of preclinical, so that's you know kind of the studies in animals, all the way through phase three. The end of the day, our intent is not to commercialize those products ourselves. We'll really look for a back-end manufacturer to be able to produce those products. In my role, I'm really focused on the CMC part, the chemistry manufacturing and controls. We're the part of the organization that's responsible for producing those materials, so the, the actual physical materials that are used in those studies but also developing the manufacturing processes that will allow that back-end manufacturer to produce those products at the cost required and the volumes needed in order to, to meet the global health need that, that these products will, will have. I longed thought that at some point in my career, I would love to, to do you know, a job like this. I have some colleagues and friends who, who've done work like this. And when this opportunity came up for this role, I was, I jumped at it. I, I couldn't say no. So I was very excited about it. When I look at the, you know, kind of what I want to see long-term coming out of this role, I think really supporting us as we evolve as an institute, seeing us being able to start, you know, those studies, we have about five that we're looking to start next year across most of our programs and tuberculosis, both our drug regimen that we're looking at, the tuberculosis vaccine that we're um, looking to take into phase three, as well as our monoclonal antibody for malaria and a probiotic for severely underweight babies. So we have studies in all of those, those areas. And so for us to be able to make sure that those supplies are available and they can start those studies, but longer term, really making sure that we're thinking hard about how those products can be made. And so that we really ensure that we're not just developing products that, that perform well in the clinic, but they, they can actually, you know, be produced in such a way that they can be used and have that impact that they have you know, the potential to, to have. So I think there's a, a big challenge there. 
to be able to do that. But I'm really excited about, you know, working with a team and building a, a CMC team that can deliver on all of that. To clarify, you'd mentioned a probiotic for infants. Is that technically like a supplement that you're working on? Is it like a prescription? Could you elaborate just a little bit more? Absolutely. So it is a nutritional supplement. So it's a B. infantis. It's an organism that is found in the guts of babies. And it's an organism that helps to break down mother's milk. And what has been found in a small study is that when that supplement was given to severely underweight infants, that they saw a statistical weight gain. And so what we're looking to do is to repeat that study in a pretty controlled way to be able to support a recommendation by the WHO to use this as part of the treatment for the youngest infant. So once infants get to be six months old there um, and can start to, to take in some solid food, then there's some kind of treatment regimens that are used for those um, babies. But for the youngest right now, there isn't something in that space. So that's what we're looking to do. For us, it's a little bit different because it's not, you know, most of us come from the pharma industry. And this is a little bit different. We're trying to kind of use a phase three approach, but it is a nutritional supplement. So there's a little bit of learning that we have going on there, but we're really excited about that and about the potential impact that that could have. I find that fascinating because you're right. A lot of pharma companies will focus specifically on pharmaceuticals. So it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, you guys are working on nutritional supplement as well. Exactly. We're really looking at where, where is there a need and how can we step in and help where they're a traditional pharmaceutical company or biotech, it just may not be in their in their wheelhouse to do. Before we close out, let's move to our leadership tip section, which is part of all of our podcasts. What is one leadership tip that you'd like to share? This could be to your younger self or maybe to up and coming folks wanting to get involved in leadership positions. One of the things that I like to share really to, for younger folks who are coming up, I think you know, I always like to say that if a door opens, you know, walk through it, or at least really give it a lot of thought. I mean, because if an opportunity arrives, you know, take that chance, go through that door. Often that'll lead to a, an opportunity, lead to more visibility that you may not have otherwise. It might be a little scary to do that, but but really when those, they don't happen all the time. So when they do, take that step forward um, and, and go through that door as it opens. So. Fantastic. Thank you so very much for joining me again today on this episode. I appreciate your sharing your time and insight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at Farm Executive and on YouTube at Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of Farm Exec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.